Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Well, hello. I'm Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. Let's get right into it today. I want to get into some games that we did not talk about yesterday. Um, first of all, let's look at the Broncos win over Cincinnati. You know, two of the considered better teams in the AFC. Denver's quite impressive, and the Bengals are struggling at this stage of the of the, of the, the game here, so to speak. And it's funny because I sent a tweet out. I remember because some people called me out on Twitter. It was like one twenty-five of a game that started at 1 o'clock Eastern. And saying, boy, Simeon's really struggling today. Missing a lot of receivers. And people wrote me back at like 5 o'clock that night saying, what are you talking about? You're an idiot. Did you see what he did? Well, when I wrote it, he was struggling. <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the game, he was rough. And he played really well from that point on. I mean, it, the, one of the bad things that happened is he did have an interception that was dropped that was a bad throw by him, and that day could have gone a lot differently if it, you know, if that, that's a, a catch or an interception. But he started rough. He missed a lot of open guys, and then he really picked it up. And a very impressive day overall. Denver really couldn't run, and clearly uh, it was the Bengals' Uh, game plan to take the run away, and they did that very well. Their defensive line in the run game certainly dominated the trenches. Geno Atkins and company, they were in the backfield quite a bit. Uh, Anderson really could not get started. But that also left a lot of space for Sanders and Thomas, the wide receivers, really good you know, pair of wide receivers. And going into this game, Simeon had... Uh, the lowest yards per attempt of any quarterback, you know, any of the starting quarterbacks. And this game, he pushed the ball down the field and a couple of big throws to each one of those guys, Sanders and Thomas, uh, especially Sanders. And, you know, were they great throws? No, you know, but in this case, he took what the defense gave him and those were, you know, riskier plays, didn't play it as close to the vest. Uh, I would say the Cincinnati defensive backfield didn't play all that well either. Um, but, you know, encouraging to say the least for Simeon, you know, this was the best he's played. The most was asked of him, you know, they took the run away. Hey, you got to come and win of the game for us. And he did, um, Simeon beat him, but the Bengals had a great opening drive, you know, really a lot of Jeremy Hill and, you know, that's, that's great. <laughs> and then they didn't really do anything after that. And what's crazy to me is, you know, this was not, you know, this was a close game. They only had eight designed runs in the second half. And Hill was maybe their best player on offense. You know, I mean, most productive at least on a per-touch type of basis. So I don't understand that logic. Um, I thought Dalton played well. He played fine. You know, that he was not the problem, not the solution. You know, I, I thought he was fine. He did okay. Um, but it's just so obvious to me, and I've been saying this all summer, you know, almost every podcast, every podcast we talk about the Bengals, they really need another weapon besides A.J. Green. And hopefully that comes in the form of Tyler Eifert getting back to what he could be soon. I really like Eifert, but 
they need somebody else besides Green. Of course, they don't play the Denver defense every week. But um, Shane Ray played for DeMarcus Ware, played a lot, three sacks. I mean, <laughs> you know, the rich get richer here with edge pass rushers. They're loaded with edge pass rushers. You know, Von Miller was obviously dominant again. Uh, as it stands, you know, three weeks into the season, it looks like he's running away with a Defensive Player of the Year award. Unbelievable player, Hall of Fame type player, having an amazing career. Enjoy watching him. Um, who are some other notes here? Denver offensive line, I, I mentioned that they were getting beaten in the run game. Uh, the right tackle positions are still a big problem for them. Ty Sombrello played a lot in this game. And Dunlap ate his lunch. Um, on a better note, though, and as a guy I've talked about before, the center, Matt Paradise, he's a stud, man. I mean, he really, really is impressive. Next time you watch Denver, just focus on the center for four, five, six plays, you know, and, and just watch him. He's consistent. He moves well. He's powerful, leverage, really good feet. Uh, he's one of the best centers in the league and you know, might be considered the best here before long. Cincinnati also had too many penalties. You know, that dropped interception and fewer penalties. Maybe this game goes a little different. But as it stands, Cincinnati's struggling right now, and Denver looks quite strong and in a really good position at this stage of the game. Next game, not obviously as big a names, and we're not going to you know hang on here for a long time, but I wanted to talk about Miami and Cleveland. Um more kind of the state of the franchises with these guys. And, yeah, the Browns are going to be 32 tomorrow in my power ranks. Tomorrow's power rank day, as is every Wednesday. And you guys seem to enjoy that. That's going well. Um, but this was a winnable game from them. I mean, if if it wasn't for – and I don't feel, actually don't feel bad for Parkey, the, the, the pick a kicker up off the, the waiver wire and ask him to kick, you know, 40-yarders and he misses a few and – they might win this game if it wasn't you know, for better kicking game. You know, it was a fine line. And then how about the Baltimore game? I mean, if, if Pryor doesn't get called for that ridiculous taunting call, um, you know, maybe they probably beat the Ravens. So uh, the Browns are bad, and I've said before that I don't. I think there's a very good chance they're not going to win a game. Um, but you know, they're not that far from being two and one. Let's just say that. You know, I'm just trying to. Put a positive spin here, though. You know, I mean, uh, Kessler, he moved the team. You know, uh, Miami pressured him constantly, consistently. Um, Kessler moved the team, and I think he was better than anticipated, but, you know, that's not saying a whole heck of a lot. Um, but Miami pressured him constantly. You know, I mean, he was th – that defensive line, even though it's older, is still playing really well for Miami. Clearly, that's their strength. We've talked about this a lot. As you get away from the ball, the worse off the Dolphins are. Their defensive line is quite good. Uh, they're good at the safety position. They're really they're, they're weak at linebacker, and they're really, really weak at corner. I mean, their, their cornerbacks are really, really bad. Um, and that has, to be a pro, that has to be a massive priority this offseason. And I know they have Howard in there, a youngster. Maybe he gets better, but he should not be playing the number of snaps he's playing now. Uh, they're very up and down as a team overall. You know, I mean, they, you know, the, the Patriot game is a perfect example. And so is this one, you know, where there's long stretches that they do nothing and they look terrible. And then there's stretches where they get hot. You know, in, in New England, Tannehill completed 14 in a row at one point. And I think that's to be expected. You know, a, a brand new system, uh, a lot of changes. 
Um, so that's, again, that, that, that's going to be something I think we'll see from Miami. I think the offense progressively gets to be pretty good, gets better and better as the season goes on. Um, the defense, to me, the back seven, there's not a lot of hope at the linebacker corner spots. And, you know, when you look big picture, I think they're going to have to draft another defensive end, too, to groom. I mean, how long can you count on Wake and Williams? I think the line will be good on offense. The, the running back position is highly unsettled, to say the least. Um, but I really like the receivers, and I have faith in Tannehill. Uh, the guy you really have to talk about here in this game, though, and probably the best player in the field was Terrell Pryor. And Terrell Pryor was great in this game. Um, I'm not sure if I've explained him to you or not, but whenever he came out of Pittsburgh as the top recruit in the country. And as you remember, he went to Ohio State. He was a big quarterback athlete. He was also the best basketball player in the city of Pittsburgh that year. And that's right. At, that was a year I think I was with the Browns. But I, so I had just finished, you know, three, you know, four years of watching recruiting tape as a job, and got a hold of some prior tape. And he probably is the best high school player I've ever seen, best prospect I've ever seen, and you know, do it all. And, and at that time too, I looked at him and thought, man, this guy could be a three-four stand-up outside linebacker, or you know, a pass rush specialist. You know, a, a six-five, two hundred and forty-five pound edge rusher that could really bend and explode and strong and or a small tight end or you know I, I understand why he wanted to go play quarterback all kids do but that was not the best career path for him at the time I can't imagine what he would be like if he was you know a receiver from day one it really has made strides though with Hugh Jackson they threw they thrown deep to him a lot particularly in the preseason but because of their mess at quarterback, he's also taking a lot of snaps quarterback in this game, you know, and he's carrying the ball a lot. And they're, they're finding ways to use his remarkable athletic ability. Good coaching in that regard. Uh, he's a kid I'm really rooting for. Uh, again, he was an unbelievable high school player. But, you know, Miami's going to be up and down this year. Uh, the Browns are going to be down this year. But, you know, the, the Browns have taken some, <laughs> taken some lumps, to say the least. Um, where do they go from here? They've got to keep the course, and hopefully the uh, ownership sticks with them all and, and goes from there. But um, I think the things are going in the right direction in Miami. I'm a big Adam Gase believer. So there you have that. Okay, the next game is last night's game. Probably should have started with this, but yeah, it's no big deal. Uh, we're going to do two more games today. And I'm sure most of you saw it, and really it kind of went to script. You know, that, like we've said, I think both these games, or both these teams are going to play in a lot of these type of games. I have very little faith in either defense, and I actually feel for the Saints. I mean, their defense, at least they tried to fix it, and, and they lose guys at a remarkable rate to injuries. Um, it's a horrible, horrible defense. You know, when you're watching the game and you feel like the players are the same way, that when they hold Atlanta to a field goal, it feels like a win. <laughs> we only gave up three points this drive. Uh, it really is that bad. I mean, and both these offenses are very, very good. And this is how we thought this game would go. But, I mean, back to my point, Atlanta had five straight drives with a touchdown. They were held to a field goal on that sixth consecutive drive, and if they would have scored a touchdown, that would have been an NFL record or tied an NFL record. I mean, that's how bad the Saints' defense is. And they were, you know, it's an emotional night. 
It was a really loud crowd. Everyone knows the history of these teams and the tragedy in New Orleans and the block punt and all those things. And New Orleans came out hot, you know. I mean, the the, the Fleener touchdown. Then they had a tough defensive stand, you know, right off the bat. It was like, okay, wow, you know, Saints are Saints are humming. And then they muff a punt, you know, sudden change. And Coleman scores his first touchdown of the night. And several more coming after that, 7-7. Seven, seven. And then the crowd kind of got taken out of it a little bit. Like, oh, man, we're in trouble. And they were. <laughs> they were in trouble. And Matt Ryan is playing very, very well this year. Very, very well. But didn't even have to in this game. I mean, he played well. I'm not taking anything away from him. But um, Julio Jones <laughs> Julio Jones was basically a non-entity in this game. And Sanu got hurt. And they don't really have much of tight end. And they still were racking up crazy amounts of points. You know, they were up 28-17 to 17 at the half. Um, <laughs> it's just, they, the Saints just have nothing on, on defense. You know, it, it, Julio had zero catches in the first half. And, you know, it comes down to, you know, Freeman and Coleman were just busting these guys up. And Coleman had the better fantasy day. You know, he had all the touchdowns. But Freeman, I thought, was much better. I've thought this since day one. I think Freeman, or Coleman is... He's a hit a hole, fast, strong, but straight line-ish, you know. And if he gets that crease, he can take it to the house. Or you dump a screen pass to him with a little space. Vroom, you know, I mean, he's like the roadrunner and he's big. He takes off. And so he has that going for him. But Freeman, jump cuts, lateral agility, dragging people, playing low. He runs much lower than Coleman. You know, aggressive guy, also a good receiver. Freeman looks great. I thought he was really, really impressive. And, you know, of course, it was the Saints are terrible, too. But the, the Falcons' O-line is really good now with Mack. And the tackles are quite good. Um, they dominated the, the line of scrimmage. The combination of Freeman and Coleman almost at 300 yards, 296 yards, three touchdowns between them, huge holes, and just tons of yards even before contact. You know, although I thought Freeman made a lot of those Yards before contact on his own, too. I mean, if people would get penetration, hit sidestep him, make a miss, go and then, you know, get around the corner. I mean, really impressive. You know, the you know, the Saints are on, like, their, what, fourth or fifth corners <laughs> that are playing a lot of snaps for these guys. And they played well. I mean, you didn't see them tested very often. Again, probably because they didn't have to. Atlanta just controlled the ball and ran it down their throats. But... Uh, let's look for some positives. I mean, maybe the Saints' corners are better than we think they are. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the Cooks versus Trufant matchup was a good one, too. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of both players. Trufant won it, though. I mean, he he's in that conversation now of easily a top-five corner, in my, in my opinion. And, you know, is he the best corner in the league? Probably not. I might still say it's Patrick Peterson, but <clears throat> he's... Right there in the conversation now for, you know, a truly elite corner. And he did a really good number on Cooks. Cooks had tr- had some troubles in this game. Mike Thomas showed up with some nice plays. I thought Breeze played pretty well. Um, but it's just, you feel like the Saints offense is just playing with a piano on their back. That, you know, for us to keep up with the opponent, we have to do so much more work because our defense is just so non-existent. And... It's going to be a rough, rough situation. I thought they could be a 500-type team because the offense was so good. It was an A offense and a D defense. But it's an A-minus offense and an F offense. Or an A-minus offense and an F defense. So 
they look more like a six-win team. And Atlanta's encouraging. I mean, I'm starting to come on board with Atlanta. I still have heavy doubts about their defense in general besides Trufant. I think that's very much a work in progress. They have a couple real tough games coming up on the slate, too. So Atlanta might fall back to earth here when we talk two, three weeks from now. We might just be saying, well, they had a nice run early. And remember, that was the case last year as well. And one other note about them, um, it's the second year in this offense, you know, and I think that's showing up a lot. I mean, because the talent's not that much better in Atlanta on offense than it was a year ago. But Ryan's so much comfortable. You know, it, 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 it's like learning a new language. You know, if you, if you if I moved you to Italy and you've never speak Italian, you'd be a lot better in your second year than you would your first year living there. I mean, it's a similar, you know, similar situation. And, oh, by the way, there's 300-pound men that are angry and trying to stomp you in Italy. So it's very hard. And Ryan, I think, is a better quarterback than all of us gave him credit for last year. It was dealing with some struggles because of the new offense and everybody being on the same page, lack of weapons. And they're better now. They're a lot better now. Um, they're also are a lot more effective this year in the red zone. I remember a lot of people were, were all over Ryan for red zone interceptions. And generally, they really struggled in the red zone last year. Um, through three games, and of course, I don't get to play the Saints every week, but that looks corrected for the most part, and so that's a, that is promising. I think the Falcons are moving in the right way, and Saints, I, I kind of just feel bad for because boy, they have been unlucky on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, imagine if they had, you know, Rankins and especially Bro. Um, oh, speaking of which, I wanted to say, tell you this too. How about that almost last play of the game where Freeman breaks free? They're really just eating out the clock, you know, just eating it up, eating up the clock. And Freeman breaks free, and it's just him and Jarius Bird basically in the open field. And Bird just looks terrible. And, and I read on Twitter something like, just take that clip, and that is basically Bird's time in New Orleans. You know, That's basically his contribution for a lot of money in New Orleans. That's just a synopsis of his time as a Saint. One of the worst free agent signings that I can remember. And he's still on the team, still making big money. That's... Not good with that situation. The last game, a really noteworthy game between some heavy, heavy hitters in the NFC. What about the Vikings did them? Just go to Carolina. Carolina, Minnesota. The Panthers were up 10-0 in this game and appeared to, you know, I mean, be doing things rather at ease. You know, they were the favorite. They're at home. They were at the Super Bowl last year. Newton, you know, they're doing well. And Daniel Hunter, by the way, I don't know if you know who Daniel Hunter is, but he is a up-and-coming 4-3 defensive end who's a very, very good player, um, thriving in this scheme, loads of ability from LSU, came out of somewhat of a project, um, but has really grown into his paws, so to speak. He's a stud. Stud in the making. Anyways, he sacks Cam Newton in the end zone for a safety, and then 22 answer, you know, 20 more, 22 total unanswered points by Minnesota. It was like the absolute turning point in the game. I mean, and a, a statement win, you know, from, from the Vikings. And their defense just dominated, dominated. I mean, as good a defensive performance as we've seen, I don't know, what, since the Super Bowl, I guess, <laughs> Carolina, did a similar situation against, you know, in their Super Bowl loss. And I kind of felt for Cam. I mean, he just got a pummeled, you know, just overmatched against just great athletes and great football players and great scheme on that Vikings defense. 
loaded. I mean, they're really, really playing well. And we know that that's going to have to be their formula. You know, speaking of Super Bowl, they're going to have to play a Denver style of, uh, of game to, to be successful. And they are doing it, obviously. They're, they're 3-0, and and now the Panthers are 1-2. and just, just a note. But anyways, um, you know, this defense crushed Aaron Rodgers last year, <laughs> last week. You know, the, the worst game I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers play. And then destroyed Newton today, too. I mean, eight sacks. <laughs> eight sacks. 17 pressures. You know, he threw three interceptions. Um, he, he had a hurt ankle in this game, too. He injured his ankle, Newton I'm talking about, and clearly was not as good or as mobile or the same after that. I mean, that was a, a, a big deal in this game as well. But, man, I mean, Michael Orr getting abused and just it, it didn't really matter. I mean, it, I, I just can't say enough how impressive the Vikings' defense was in this game. I mean, the defensive line with the pressures – and the secondary was great. The secondary was absolutely phenomenal because some of these pressures and some of these hits and you know that Newton took were after a couple seconds. You know, I mean, it was they're coverage sacks, so to speak, and uh, that's highly, highly encouraging here. You know, I mean, Trey Wayne's. We talked about him what a week or two ago, and I said, boy, he's got a lot of ability. He just needs to stop mugging and molesting receivers all the way down the field. Well, he played a lot better. He's starting to come into his own. I guess Zimmer is getting his hands on him and turning him into a player, former first-round pick. He's got size. He certainly has ability. Again, so grabby. Um, but Rhodes played in this one, their top corner. And, you know, the combination of Rhodes and Wayne are big. I mean, these are big. <laughs> first, what, like, first-round corners look like. And, you know, Benjamin and Funchess were nowhere to be found at all. Um, so having those two corners back, playing together and having Rhodes back was giant. Uh, Benjamin's first target was very late in the game. I mean, I think it was like five minutes left in the game. Unbelievable. And, and between Funches and Benjamin, zero catches. <laughs> zero catches. Uh, nuts. So uh, do, do the, the Panthers have things to work on? Yeah, and... You know, the one thing I've said to you guys a million times, I'm not going to harp on it, though, but their their offense is not the same without Jonathan Stewart. You know, Stewart was missed in this game a lot. And, yeah, they played an awesome defense, but they only had 69 yards between Whitaker and Payne, or Artis Payne. Not enough. Not enough. Um, they need to get Stewart back. He's a key contributor for them and an underrated talent. Uh, I mentioned Michael Orr had a really rough day. And speaking of running ball, running the ball, Minnesota uh, – Ran the ball just eight times and in, in the first half, you know, which is surprising. You know, <laughs> I mean, that you would think that they're just going to run, 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 play defense, but yeah, they only ran the ball eight times in the first half. And to the Panthers' credit, their defensive line, particularly that group of defensive tackles, which is awesome, um, they owned the line of scrimmage in the run game. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Minnesota, they had a little over, just a smidge over two yards of carry in this game. I mean, if you told me that the Vikings were going to win this game you know, an average, or, or if you told me the Vikings were going to average slightly over two yards of carry in Carolina, I would tell you they lost by 30. Not the case. Great defense. Defense is the equalizer. Defense wins championships. I am a believer in that. Um, who are some other notes here? Overall, I mean, am I worried about the Panthers? No. I still think they're a playoff team. I think, you know, kind of like we said about the Cardinals and Steelers. And, yeah, this is eye-opening. But one one note I didn't mention to you guys, and I'm going to get back to this game in a second, but 
because I'm on the radio so much in Pittsburgh, I got a hundred times, you know, is this Steeler team and mess, you know, and, and the one thing I just want to say, it's not really about the Steelers, but it's in general is it's easy to overreact to one game in the NFL. And I said this in Pittsburgh saying, if the Pirates, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team, if they lost 14 to nothing to the Cardinals or Cubs or whoever last night, people would call in and they'd be upset and then they'd forget about it. I mean, sometimes your team just has a bad day. And in baseball, nobody cares because you play 162. But in football, there's only 16. And sometimes you just have a bad day or a bad matchup or you face a hot goalie and you lose 6 nothing, or your goalie can't stop anything or your best player can't make a free throw. You know, I mean, whatever. You sometimes just have a bad day. So over the course of a 16-game season, you know, I think it's not a crime to throw one game out, you know, your best performance, your worst performance, because it's a very small sample size, unlike a game, a game like baseball. You know, you lose 16 nothing. And a month later, nobody even remembers the game. So, anyways, uh, a couple little other things. Uh, Newton is taking a beating this year, and they really have not rushed the ball efficiently. I think those things go hand in hand. Uh, I think the secondary is still very worrisome for Carolina, and special teams needs cleaned up too. Um, on the positive side, their defensive tackles were awesome. Luke Keekley was unbelievable in this game too. I mean, if you go back and watch it, just watch him. I mean, he's one of the players in the league that I just adore watching play after play. He's so good. Um, and well, the last thing I wanted to mention, too, and, you know, real, obviously a very, very impressive performance by the Vikes, but they still have a major problem at left tackle. You know, Khalil's out for the year. He was horrible to begin with. He looks like a total bust, a very strange career path. And TJ Clemmings took over. He's struggling, too. He struggled at right tackle last year, and now he's on the left side. That's a problem. Um, and I think that's a big reason why the Vikings, you know, pretty much always were throwing short in this game. And Bradford played well. Uh, he certainly seems to have a relationship with Kyle Rudolph, too. You know, I mean, that seems like a Bradford-friendly uh, option in the middle of the field in the red zone. Rudolph, the red zone reindeer. I don't know if you heard that before, but I still get a chuckle out of it. Um, but I, I could see Rudolph being a bigger piece of this offense than he has been the last couple years. And I always liked him, but he's kind of fallen off of late, and he's battled some injuries too. So that's encouraging. You know, I, I've said several times that going into this game, I said a lot to you guys last week that more than two people have to be good players on the Vikings offense. And those two good people were Bradford, and you know, that's, that's a bit of a leap of faith in itself, and Diggs, which isn't a leap of faith at this point. And he wasn't great in this game, but that's okay. And Rudolph might be that guy that if he can be an above-average tight end, that would go a long way. Uh, I still think it's a difficult formula for the Vikes to be this good on defense week after week to stay amongst the, the elite in the league. But, wow, this was a great showing and super-duper impressive. So, there you have it. Tomorrow is Power Ranks. Take care, everyone.